HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Okay, it is one o'clock and you are tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report and I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are on the line with Willie Galloway, author of Grow, Cook, Eat, A Food Lover's Guide to Vegetable Gardening. Willie, how are you? I'm good. Good afternoon. Good, good, good. Welcome to the show. So we're connecting with you on the West Coast. You're in the Portland area, right? Yep, I live in um, southeast Portland, Oregon. Awesome. So I'm, I'm excited to, um, well, actually, I'm a little nervous today because I'm about to un, un, make a kind of a confession here. Um, I think people may be surprised to learn this, but I actually don't know anything about gardening. Uh, I've never gardened ever in my life. I'm, you know, a passionate cook. I've worked with livestock. I, I know a lot about parts of gardening, but I've actually never done it, and I'm not really sure what my problem is. Um, for, for whatever reason, it hasn't, hasn't made it onto the list, and I feel like uh, people are always uh, a little surprised to learn that. I was just back uh, visiting my brother in Michigan, and he has this beautiful um, garden plot in his backyard, um, and we're walking around, it and I'm like, damn, why don't I do this? What is my problem? And I think that's one of the things that really attracted me to your book is is you really come to gardening from uh, an eater's perspective. And I was hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you um, got into gardening and then what was uh, the process that led you to, to put your knowledge into book form. Yeah, so I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and my mom had a really big garden when I was a little girl. It took up about a third of our backyard. And so I would go out there with her and and garden. And, um, you know, as I got older, I worked at nurseries and um, out at a ranch and just kind of always had my finger in the gardening world. And after college, I got a job at Organic Gardening Magazine. And I ended up working for them for many years. And I was their uh, West Coast editor And I got to really just 
meet so many people um, in the vegetable gardening world, plant breeders and really amazing home gardeners and plant physiologists. And I just, it was kind of like eight years of on-the-job training, so I, I really learned a lot while I, I had that job. That's great. It sounds like you got a chance to really get in depth. So for someone like me, someone kind of new to the gardening world, um, I wonder if you can take us through like, you know, what what a, what would your approach be for, for someone to get started on something small scale where you either have like a small patch that you have access to or maybe even if it's just, you know, a couple of window boxes. I mean, what do we need to be thinking about and, and what are the decisions that go into making your first foray, foray into planting food? Well, I think the first most important thing to do is grow food that you like to eat, you know, something that is you're excited about and you really want to harvest for yourself. So, you know, in my own garden, um, we're just renting a house right now. It's, it's a lot smaller than other gardens I've had in the past. And so I'm growing a lot of salad greens and, you know, tomatoes because I love to harvest those and beans. Nice. Because so, um, I just don't have a ton of space. So but that's kind of what I was focusing on this year. Um, and, you know, just, just start small um, because, you know, you'll end up growing a lot of food even in a small space, and it can get kind of overwhelming. So, you know, your first couple of years, you don't need to plant a huge, gigantic garden to be a gardener. Just growing, you know, like one raised bed or some whiskey barrel-sized containers, that can be a good start, and you can actually really get a lot of food um, out of a small space. But I I think that it's important to really grow stuff that you like. (laughs) To, yeah, to start small. I mean, I think that's my thing. I feel I always feel like if I'm going to get into gardening, I have to have this kind of, you know, immaculate, planned out kind of long term vision. When really, I mean, it can be as simple as like going to the green markets plant sale in the spring and and picking out a few, you know, potted herbs and and engaging in that way. Um, you in your book kind of go through the basics for anyone who's interested in setting up a garden and you kind of talk about different scales and different tools. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you would consider essential gardening tools. Yeah. You know, so the thing about gardening is it, there's this book out there called like the $64 tomato where this guy has, you know, an existential crisis <laughs> making a garden, and he calculates that his tomatoes cost $64 each, and it, it definitely doesn't need to be that way. There's no rule that vegetables have to grow in, like, you know, rectangular wooden boxes. They'll, they'll grow in, you know, orange buckets. And so um, I, you need, you know, soil and something that contains it, so either in the ground or, or a container. And then... Um, you need a spade and a trowel um, for planting things, uh, a hose for watering. I think a watering can with a rose, which is the little um, filter that goes on the top so that the water doesn't gush out, is a really good thing to have. And then my favorite tool, one that I think is really important, is something called a stirrup hoe. It's shaped like a stirrup on a saddle and um what it does is it allows you to weed plants out really quickly and easily when they're small, and it can really help keep weeds down. So I think that's a great time-saving tool um, for uh, keeping the weeds down in your garden neat and um, without having to, you know, spend hours out there weeding. 
Yeah, because I think we all probably have better things to do. Although I know a lot of people who really find uh, a lot of pleasure in, in ridding their garden or ridding their spaces of weeds as kind of a, a stress reliever. Um, one of the other things that I, I find so interesting about gardening is the, is the kind of giving yourself permission to do it, I think is been my main issue. Um, but this idea of gardening in an urban space versus gardening in a rural space. And I'm wondering if, if you would have kind of different advice uh, for people in, in different locations with regards to, I don't know, tips on where to get access to tools or seeds or seedlings and some of the kind of basic components and how that might vary, whether you're living in Brooklyn or, or somewhere um, kind of less urban than here. Yeah, so, you know, Brooklyn does have a pretty thriving community garden scene, and there's, you know, rooftop farms in Brooklyn. There's, if, if you are really interested in growing in Brooklyn, you can definitely, um, you know, hook into this really vibrant gardening community. Um, in super urban spaces, though, say you just have an apartment with a balcony, to grow food, you need sun. So you need a spot that gets six or eight hours of bright direct sunlight a day. So if your apartment faces north and it's, you know, shaded by other buildings, you might not be able to grow food at your house. And so you'll probably need to find a community garden. And community gardens are all over the place. I was just in rural Wyoming in this little town that has like 8,000 people, and they had three or four amazing community gardens. And um, no matter where you live, a community garden is a great place to garden because, um, A, you get to interact with people you might not meet any otherwise, and, B, there's usually good gardeners there, and, and they're really the best way to become a better gardener is to observe other people and talk with them about what they're doing and grow the food yourself. So uh, I think community gardens, no matter what size community you live in, are, are really a great place to grow food. Um, and, you know, they're, they're nice if you don't have a lot of space and, and you want to grow more space, you can, you know, have a plot. Or even if you have a lot of space um, at home, maybe you just want the opportunity to grow food with other people. Yeah. Now, you also, I mean, in addition to your work through uh, Organic Gardening Magazine and uh growing growing your own stuff and working on the book you also do or have done like a, a call-in radio show for for growers with uh who are running into problems in their garden i mean what are what were some of the kind of trends as far as common questions that you got through there did things kind of tend to be in the same area or was did people really jump all over the board um you know i get a lot of questions about harvesting so even gardeners who've grown food for a long time don't always realize that when you have a garden, um, you know, you get to observe a plant through its whole life cycle. And because of that, you have an opportunity to harvest plants at different stages, um, stages that you might not see at a grocery store or even sometimes at farmer's markets. And also you get to eat different parts of the plant that are often because they bruise or wilt or just don't stay looking nice are taken off the plant and composted well before they ever get to a grocery store. So, you know, you can eat the greens of um, all sorts of root vegetables and, you know, flowers from different plants and um, even the roots of plants. Um, and so it, I think that 
that's something that people don't realize, and I get a lot of questions about, I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to harvest my lettuce or um, what I'm supposed to pull, like when do I pull my beets out, you know. So um, in the book, I really tried to focus on helping people understand what all those stages of harvest were and, and, and also then what they could eat on each plant. Can you take us through like one of one of your favorite plants uh, that has a multitude of edible stages and and talk a little bit about what that looks like and what they taste like and how the same plant essentially can have a huge variety of tastes and and textures um, at different points in its life cycle? Yeah, sure. So I think a great example is a radish. So first of all, there's a lot of different kinds of radishes. There's um, you know, the round radishes that we always see on, they're like leftover on the vegetable tray at office parties. No one wants to eat them, right? Because they're like, sort of have like a chalky exterior and they're pissy and gross. Like, that's why people think they don't like radishes because they've only ever had them in that setting. They're actually really good if you harvest them out of your garden. Um, but then there's daikon radishes and winter radishes. There's different kinds of radishes and they come in different colors too pink, white, purple, you know, red, of course. Um, even sort of like a greenish color, uh, yellow. Um, so, so radishes are fun right there. Like you just have this opportunity to grow stuff that you're never going to see at the store. And then, um, you know, say you're growing garden radishes, they have, um, their greens are delicious. So if you harvest a bunch of the roots and you have all the tops, uh, you don't want to put them in a salad because they have this kind of Velcro texture that's really just not great in a salad. But if you cook those greens as you would spinach, um, that texture completely disappears. Um, the greens kind of have a little bit of a mustard green-ish flavor to them, and they're just full of calcium and iron, and um, they're super um, helpful. So you can eat the roots, the greens, um, and then when radishes go to seed, they, they get pretty tall. They'll get about 18 inches to 2 feet tall, and they'll get branches with these beautiful sort of pink or white flowers um, that you can use as a garnish on salads. And then following the flowers, they get these little teardrop-shaped um, little seed pods. And the seed pods, you know, if you grow a radish, you just get one radish root if you're harvesting it for the roots. But if you let it go to seed, you know, one plant will make 40 seed pods. And the seed pods are so good. They're really crunchy and spicy and have a little bit of sweet to them. And they're really fun to snack on. So that's a, that's a great one. And, you know, pretty much anyone can grow radishes in containers or out in the garden. So that's, that's one that has, I call them extra edibles. They're kind of the extra little things you get to eat if you grow your own food. Yeah, also a um, great way to win friends and influence people, I think, at dinner when you can haul out your trove of, you know, radish pods and get to talk about, you know, what that is and, and why uh, your guests are, are lucky to have you in, in their lives. Um, <laughs> I know there are some plants where, like, certain parts of the plants are edible and certain parts aren't. And I guess rhubarb is, like, the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, is that an old wives' tale that if I eat rhubarb leaves, I'm going to, you know, turn into a toad? Or why yeah. Why is it? Well, you, you'd probably get pretty sick, but you also probably won't eat them because they're so sour. So rhubarb leaves have a really high concentration of oxalic acid, which is what makes the stalks sour. And you, you wouldn't want to eat the leaves for that reason. Um, you know, there's... Uh, plants in the tomato family, the Solanaceous family, so tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, 
um, tomatillos. They um, don't really have edible leaves. Um, but, you know, other than that, like, all the, in the cabbage family, you know, if you go kohlrabi, which is a really fun, unusual vegetable, it kind of looks like a UFO, um, it has great edible leaves that most people throw away. Um, and then a lot of uh, the cabbage family members, like kale, if they overwinter, they will get these broccoli-like flower buds in spring that are so amazing and delicious. Um, so they have lots of edible parts. Nice, nice. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have Melissa Metric, who's actually the garden manager here at Roberta's, join us in the studio, so hang tight. She's dancing by herself in a mother's summer dress. Oh, kid, she doesn't need your help. Art in Spain, tall boys across her brain. It's all boys, men they'll do anything. You're listening to Boy Crazy by Cookies. Through her parade, all lined up, marching back and forth all day. She's grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West We are back. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are on the line with Willie Galloway, author of Grow, Cook, Eat. And we have just been joined in the studio by Melissa Metric, who is the head gardener here at Roberta's. Melissa, welcome to the studio. Hello. Thank you. So uh, before we jump into more gardening talk, I just want to give a little shout out. The song that we heard during the break is your band. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's my band, Cookies. <laughs> and if people want to tune in and hear a little bit more of your work uh, in the, of the audio variety, where can they find you? Uh, we have a website um, that's uh, cookiesltd.com. So it's like cookieslimited.com. And you could download songs and stuff like that on it. Awesome. Yeah. Check it out. So um, for people who haven't had the pleasure of, of hanging out here at Roberta's, can you kind of run us through what the garden setup looked like here? Because it's not like we have some pastoral back area that you're out there with a you know tiller. So what, what's the, what does it mean to be a garden manager here in the middle of Bushwick, Brooklyn? Okay, so um, Roberta's in general, well, we do a lot of events. We kind of have a 
kind of like a backyard area. And in that backyard area, we have um, 40, I would say, like seven square foot planters. So most of our things are in, or most of our plants that we grow are in, are in planters that we can move around. So if we have weddings or if we have a huge party like Tiki Disco, we could kind of, you know, just, just move the planters around. And also if one area gets better sun than the other. So it's very mobile. It's very uh, like a, a multi-use space. Nice. And does that kind of impact what types of things you can or can't grow? Um, Yes and no. Our planters are pretty deep. So we grow everything from like peach trees and apple trees to, you know, basic salad greens or or tomatoes or cucumbers or. Yeah. So we we try to grow everything. We're, We're slowly but surely learning the space better and and kind of what things you know, what certain varieties can tolerate what, you know, environments. So sure. Yeah, sure. So Willie, you were actually here at Roberta's not too long ago. You guys uh, did some work together. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, first of all, I was so impressed with the garden. Um, You know, I especially liked the little orchard area. Um, Melissa had planted chamomile and other herbs to lure in pollinators, and it was just a a really cool garden. Um, And I I especially liked also the rooftop garden that's on top of your studio. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot. I forgot to mention that. Yep. Um, So, uh, yeah, I did a talk on herbs because, you know, herbs are something that, they're plants that are expensive to buy but easy to grow. They do well in containers. Um, they'll live, many of them, for, you know, several years. So they're great for urban gardeners. And then they, there's just a lot of applications that you can use them in. Um, and, you know, they have different other little parts to their plant, you know, to the plants. And so um, I thought that would be a good thing to chat about at Roberta's most of the gardeners there um, would be living in Brooklyn and and really not have a ton of space um, for growing. So, um, Melissa, have you guys found there's like a particular herb that works really well here or um, is the kitchen been requesting something in particular? I feel like I walked by some sorrel earlier. Was that from your garden here or? Um, We we do have... um we do grow sorrel. That's like one of our baby greens. But um, I would say it's kind of funny. A lot of people or, or gardeners almost consider this kind of like a weed in, in a way. But um, mint is always really easy to grow. It will always come back. And right now um, our bar is using mountain mint for some of their drinks. So we definitely grow mint. We grow thyme. We grow um, sage. We rosemary actually we're we're putting rosemary around the bar because um sometimes you know certain areas have certain pests or flies or something like that so we put certain plants in certain areas to actually deter uh pests as well so for example like rosemary is supposed to deter flies so it's we kind of definitely not only do we like eat all these different varieties and vegetables and stuff like that. But I try to kind of implement it in like a pest management program as well here, like just to help us out to grow organically and stuff like that. So it's, it's finding out like all the different uses of the plant and yeah. Nice. So Willie, have you in the gardening community? I mean, is there some kind of status hierarchy among the herbs where people are like, oh, mints, like, yeah, anybody can grow that. But if you can get, you know, perfect pluches of chervil, you're really a master gardener. I mean, is there is that is that a thing or not really? No. 
I don't, I don't find, I mean, I guess there's like state fairs and stuff where people are competitive with their gardening stuff, but in general, I find gardeners actually to be pretty generous and, <laughs> um, you know, you might struggle growing something in your yard that someone else finds like really easy to grow. So, uh, so no. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so I want to, in, in my backyard, I had uh, planted, uh, or not I had, I'm taking credit here. My roommate planted a couple of basil plants and a rosemary plant. And the rosemary is a, now a rosemary bush. It's huge. It's growing everywhere. And all the basil plants just died. So maybe, Melissa, can you give us a sense of where we might have gone wrong? Were they planted in the same pot? They were in separate pots, but they were next to each other in a super sunny kind of all-day situation. Well, from what you say, I mean, it's been a very hot and dry summer here. I mean, it just started to rain within the last couple of weeks. But before that, it was like 100 degrees every day here. So if you weren't watering your basil plant every day, then that could be a thing. Because also, um, I know rosemary likes dry conditions. So if the rosemary is doing really well... Um, and, and you're not really, like, watering it that much or whatever. It, it's kind of like, like you said, it's kind of more like a shrub, like a bush. Like, you could just plant it, and it'll just do its thing, and you don't really have to do a lot of maintenance. Um, basil, on the other hand, is, like, a little bit more temperamental and and um, just a little bit more sensitive, so you'd have to water it every day. You'd also have to cut off the flowers to promote it to grow more leaves because since, um, since basil is um, an annual, it... It after it goes to seed, that's like the end of its life process. So it'll just be like, up. Oh, I did my job. Okay, I'm, I'm done. done. I'm yeah. out. So. Wiley, would you recommend? I mean, any kind of particular herb varieties as like an easy starter herb for not very responsible gardeners like myself? Um, I think you know, uh, thyme is really easy to grow and hard to kill. Um, sage, any of those sort of perennial Mediterranean herbs are easy. And then, like Melissa said, mint is awesome. And I think sometimes people forget that you can use it in savory ways, too. So if you could only grow one mint, I would probably choose spearmint or a spearmint variety because it tastes good in, you know, like tabbouleh and, and sort of whole grain salads. Mint can add kind of a little special flavor or um in salad rolls, like Vietnamese salad rolls. And then, of course, you can use it in cocktails or to flavor desserts. So um, it, it's hard to kill mint. My, I just was gone for like 10 days, and my husband forgot to water my mint that was in a pot. And it looked a little bedraggled, but it was still alive. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm wondering about that because that's happened to, to – I've seen that happen to houseplants at my house where – Someone forgets to water it. I mean, is there a way to tell, like, for sure that the plant has died? Or if I come back and it's like the pot's all dried up, I mean, do I just put a lot of water on it? Do I put a little bit? I mean, how do I, like, resuscitate something that I have neglected and possibly killed? Either one of you guys can jump in. Um, I I would say that you probably would want to soak the plant a little bit. And also, it's a depends on what kind of plant it is like if it was a basil plant and it and it just kind of lost all of its leaves and died since it's an annual it's probably you know done but if it's something more like um um like a perennial that will come back they're used to like their general life thing is in 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 the winter time or if it gets too dry 
it'll kind of just let itself go. And then once it's in the right conditions again, it'll come back. So I think it depends on what kind of plant it is. But usually the way I go is, is I'll try to water it. I'll like, you know, pay attention to it a little bit more. And then I get really excited. And <laughs> be like, I brought it back to life. Yeah. But also you could, you could um, trim it and prune it. And that also will promote new growth. So it's like if, if something looks really damaged, just, you know, you know, prune it back and then water it, treat it well. And yeah, hope for the best, I guess. <laughs> nice. So, <laughs> Willie, your your book, uh, Grow, Cook, Eat, is available wherever books are sold. But you're also in uh, some clothing stores and cooking stores. Uh, how did, can you tell us a little bit about, about where else people can find you? Yeah, so my book's in um, Anthropology and uh, Williams-Sonoma, a lot of different uh, little nurseries and, and, and shops. So, um, it, you know, I think that um, it has a pretty cute cover, I think. <laughs> and so I, I think, it, you know, it, it works well in, in those shops that are looking for a pretty book to put out. But um, And it has gorgeous pictures. My friend Jim Hinkins took the photos. Uh, but I, my hope, and I'm real pleased with how the book turned out, is that it was beautiful and people would be inspired when they look at it. And then they'd also find a lot of really useful and easy to apply information as well. Nice. And I think that's definitely the case. I would recommend checking it out if you want to get into gardening. But also, tons of really lovely recipes in there. And, I mean, if people want to get a little bit of flavor for your work, you do have a website, uh, diginfood.com that's diggin with no g and one of the things i thought was so great about your website you actually do some video work on there and um you do like a little bit of like recipe cooking demo i mean you're really kind of a jack of all trades in the kitchen i mean is there any uh any portion or recipe or thing that you would recommend people checking out as kind of a signature dish um that you would eat at your home or share with your friends uh, probably my favorite thing to eat right now, and I think there's a video and there's also a recipe in the book, is a, a pasta that has a no-cook tomato sauce. So basically you um, whisk together some olive oil and lemon juice, and then you toss in some herbs. I think the video has like dill and feta cheese, and the recipe in the book has parmesan and basil and parsley. And then you cut up a, a whole bunch of cherry tomatoes, like four cups of them, and stick it in there and just kind of let them marinate. And then you cook the pasta and you pour the hot pasta over the tomatoes and herbs and just kind of let it sit there. And the heat from the pasta cooks the tomatoes slightly. And then you just toss it all together. And um, it's good at room temperature or hot. Uh, it makes a lot. So you can have some for lunch the next day. And, you know, you only have to have your stove on long enough to boil the pasta. <laughs> so it's great for when it's hot. Yeah, we are definitely have been in dire need of those types of recipes all summer long. Melissa, you have been at the garden here at Roberto's for the last two years. Yep. What's uh, what's the plan for the future? I mean, is is there uh, any big changes in the in the garden world here at Roberto's or? What are you thinking as far as like a little bit more long-term planning? Well, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like every year there's a list of new projects that we're working on. Like, for example, this year I just started working on an aquaponic setup in a greenhouse at, um, at Roberta's. And then, um, you know, I may, I may start a cutting flower garden and 
The big thing that I've been focusing on this year is also um, doing more of like an education program. So we had um, some children from the community center down the block um, come here and we kind of started a mentorship program. So we just it was kind of like a pilot program. So for a month on Saturdays, we had kids come here and they would work with me and my interns and we teach them how to garden. So I think just having more um, school groups come and teaching them, you know, how to garden and what we're doing and how, you know, it, it works within a restaurant and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. And also just building new planters and yeah, we're always keep on trucking, always doing new things. Yeah. Nice. And now the rest of the garden crew, because I know you're not doing everything by yourself. Is it a volunteer operation? Is it a paid operation? If people want to get involved, what do they do? Um, it, most of it, I, I mostly have interns. So I have about um, seven interns now and they usually stay on with me for either one season or, you know, the like, you know, I have some interns that just stayed on for spring, but I try to get people to kind of my interns to stay the whole summer long and into the fall just so they know the whole process and and they could see the plants like all the stages of you know the different seasons and stuff and really get to know the space because I feel like you need to really be somewhere for a little while to understand how the environment is and how the plants grow in it and yeah nice and if someone's interested in coming as an intern do they just email you yeah yeah they could just email me um garden at roberta's pizza.com awesome awesome uh, Willie, Melissa, thank you guys so much for joining us to do a little gardening talk, and, and thanks for bearing with my, you know, long belated admission that I don't actually ever grow anything. I just <laughs> buy, and cook, <laughs> buy it and cook it and talk about it here on the Farm Report. Um, that is the show for today, but stay tuned because we are going to be coming up next with the Grow NYC Green Market Farmers Market update right after the show's wrap. Tune in every week, Thursdays at 1 o'clock. All of our shows are available on our archives, www.heritageradionetwork.org, or as a free download through iTunes. So check it out and tune in next week. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update.
All right. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Grow NYC Green Market Update, and we are on the line with Jean Hodesh. Jean, what is happening at the market? Hey, Erin. Good to hear from you. Well, it just so happens that we are in the midst of National Farmers Market Week this week, which is very exciting. It's prime time out there. I was in Union Square yesterday morning, and it is just a sea of heirloom tomatoes and eggplants and basil and sunflowers and peaches and piles of corn. It's um, our favorite time of year, to say the least. That's awesome. So what are your um, recommendations if we're putting together a shopping list for the markets this weekend? What should we be looking for? What's on its way out? What's on its way in? Like, give us the inside scoop. Sure. Well, just yesterday, the New York Times dining section, the front cover story was all about what a great tomato season we're having this year, which is really exciting because the last couple of years have been pretty rough for the tomato crop. So I would say get them while you can, and they are amazing. I've been eating tomatoes pretty much nonstop. <laughs> um, so you can find all manner of heirlooms from a number of different farmers. Um, also, the eggplants are really, really amazing right now. And, you know, the great thing about shopping at the market is that, of course, you can get tomatoes and eggplant at the supermarket. But when you go to the farmer's market, there are so many different varieties that you might have never heard of before. Um, so those would be my recommendations. The corn is so sweet right now. Um, you know, despite the drought that we've been experiencing, um, you know, when people can make sure that their fields are irrigated, when that food comes in, is really sweet because it's been so hot outside. So that's why the tomatoes are doing so well. Um, but the corn I've had has also been really delicious. And then the stone fruit is unstoppable. So I just saw kind of the end of the apricots, but peaches and nectarines are in their prime right now, and plums. Um, there are so many different varieties of plums that are that are filling the market. So great for just eating, you know, as you as you buy them from the farmer. But they are also really delicious if you take them home and cook them down into jam, and then you can have that, you know, through the fall and winter if you're if you're able to not eat it right away. And um, it's also a really great time for berries, which are super sweet at this point in the summer. So blackberries are out there. Um, they're also really delicious if you want to turn them into jam and blueberries, um, jam, put them in pancakes, make pies. Um, those are those are all in my market basket. Every nice. Time I'm stopping by. That yeah. sounds great. We actually had uh, Lena McCarthy on the network earlier this week talking about her new book, Jam on the Craft of Canning Fruit, and she gives some great tips. It's like a great spot for people if they want to check out. Um, recipes for jam and, and tips for preserving the summer's bounty. So, Jean, thanks so much for joining us for the Grow NYC Market Update. Uh, any other up, any any other events, any other cool things happening at any of the markets that we should be sure not to miss this week? Um, this week, well, there are cooking demonstrations happening, and it's a great time of year if you get to the market and you see, say, a pepper that you've never seen before and you don't know how to cook it. Stop by the market in Bow Tent and pick up some free recipes. Ask the market manager what they think um, is the best, you know, find in the market that week and ask your farmers how to cook their produce. Awesome. And follow you guys on Twitter. That's like, I think, the best way to get kind of the super uh, real-time info on what's hot and where it is and even like what's sold out or about to sell out so you can hustle up. Uh, The Twitter feeds again, can you remind us? Sure. We've got several of them. And actually, if you go to our website, growNYC.org, 
go to growonyc.org slash follow us, and you can see a list of our different Facebook pages for different regions around New York City, and then also the Twitter feeds for the different regions around New York City. Awesome. Jean, thanks so much for that. Tune in next week, one thirty-five, when we will find out uh, what's hot, what's going down at the green markets here in New York City. Jean, thanks a lot. Talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.